I've known other people in adrenal fatigue, which is a debt of energy. I've known people in relationship debt, you know, which is in bitter divorces or lack of affection, right? These are things, they're just proof of giving more than you receive. Hey there, and welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and business coach for ambitious women who are boldly taking their business to the next level. And I believe that building a successful business isn't about working 24-7 just to merely meet a revenue goal. What it does take is a unique blend of dedication to purpose, courageous action, and frequently sheer will to overcome the odds that lead to meaningful impact and experiencing a life well lived. In each episode, you'll get to know the women and men who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of success and failure that have made them incredible leaders and the magic they gift the world with. As you're listening, and I hope finding value, don't forget to share the Tribe of Leaders podcast with all of your other entrepreneurial friends and to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am your host, Emmy Kirshner. And today I have an incredible and spectacular guest, Patty Lennon. She is a former type A, which I still am. So yay her for letting that slide, but a former type A corporate banker who discovered that there was more to life than making money. Patty holds a master in psychology and has been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and Daily Worth. She blends brain science and metaphysics to help her fellow humans manifest their dreams into reality. She is also the best-selling author of Make Space for Magic, Learn to Receive, Love, Support, and Abundance from the Universe. She's a keynote speaker, a certified coach, and the founder of The Receiving School. So Patty does everything, which makes her magnificent. And I can hardly wait to find out how you shifted, Patty, from type A to really allowing all that abundance come in. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, I'm really excited. So where was the shift? Like, what was the catalyst? Where did you decide to let go of the type A corporate banker role and move into something different? Yeah. So, you know, it happened in one moment and then it happened over the course of 15 years, of course. But when I grew up, I wasn't intending to become a banker. So I was definitely very type A in that I loved rules. I thrived in an academic environment. Like the more rules, the better for me. Mm -hmm. I knew how to function inside high structure, all of that, right? So I think it's important to understand that those of us who are type A and you watch us is we're just highly functional inside systems that are currently rewarded in our world. And then we have social approval for that functioning and it builds and builds and builds inside of us, right? So we're rewarded for the crazy that is us. But I went into college expecting to become an attorney and eventually become a politician. So I thought I was going to be a public defender and a politician. Got an internship working for a public defender's office. 
And my heart was broken when I realized that our justice system was far more unjust than I realized. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of wandered out into the horrible job landscape that was 1993 with (laughs) no real education because I was pre-law, right? And so, but my uncle had owned a finance company and I had worked for him in the summer. So because I took that into the world, a temp agency was able to place me. Otherwise, I don't even think a temp agency in that particular job market would have placed me because I had friends who weren't getting even temp jobs. I was looking for jobs at that time frame too, <laughs> newly out of college and was not finding anything. Yeah, it was a mess. So, but what was wonderful was once I got placed, I was a high achiever. And and had I known I was going in that direction, I probably would have done all the things in college, but I didn't. Quickly got a lot of approval because I showed up to work early. I stayed late. I did things quickly. You know, all the things that us type A's like, you know, succeed at. And the fact that we love appreciation and recognition, it all built into the cycle where before I knew it, I was a banker. And so as I moved up, I just felt really good in that environment. And I grew with success and all of that stuff. And then there was a moment where I woke up one morning and as I was going through my day, I felt this malaise. And as I sort of clued in on where it was coming from, I realized that as a young child and most of my early life, I had this deep connection to God and feeling like God had a purpose for me. And I had gone along thinking it was the public defender and and all of this stuff. And having gotten let down, I lost track of though that I did feel a desire to serve the divine. Right. And so one day I was sitting, you know, going through my day, I realized that what was what was going on, wondering, am I actually an okay human doing what I do? Sought the counsel of a coworker who was deeply spiritual and religious. And she said the thing that shifted gears for me, which was, how do you know God hasn't put you exactly where you are to change the lives of the people you're changing? And I was like, whose lives am I changing? I'm just pushing paper around. And she said, Patty, people behave better when you're in the room. They're kinder to each other. They're nicer to each other. And they treat each other with more respect. And that was not something I understood that I did or knew. And so I started walking through my days just watching if that was true. Really doubting it, but, but observing it. And I found that that inherent belief I was raised with to be kind to others, despite being a type A, was there. And it did seem to rub off on others. And I also seemed to be able to excel. And so I started mentoring a lot more people. I, I formally started mentoring people within the bank start to really feel purpose in that. One thing led to another and I decided to get a master's in psychology so I could understand better what kept people mentally from embracing this. Mm -hmm. The banking industry started to fail. And so being able to spend a lot of time doing this went away. Coaching started to emerge as a, a field. So I did, they added, besides getting my master's in psychology, got my certification in coaching and ultimately decided to leave banking and really explore career counseling outside the bank. Those couple of years of the coaching certification, the psychology opened me up to this whole personal development world, spiritual world. And I started to understand this A type A personality that was so well thought of and rewarded was really a function of early childhood trauma, of coping, of learning to control things that I couldn't control as a child, you know, and being rewarded in a material system 
in my new career that did not reward that the same way. Very long answer. Sorry about that. No, no, that's okay. Don't apologize. I love getting everybody's like background and what, like whether it was a sudden change or it sounds like for you, this was something that happened more gradually and was a slower shift than one day you decided to quit your corporate job and do something differently, which is super cool. Were you nervous about starting your own business? Unfortunately, I was not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Because I feel like that might have set me up for a bit more success initially. Sometimes I think that when you don't know, it's better because otherwise you wouldn't do it. (laughs) A hundred percent. So when I left, I left thinking I had risen in the ranks and I had been, I came with no education, that kind of education and look at all I did. And I was, I was handling multi-million dollar budgets and managing all these people and this big part and the, and then I thought, so what would it take for me to run a small business delusional, crazy person that I was? And I quickly made no money with a lot of hours of work. Got it. So you might've been under the same school of thought that I was initially. And I'd had other very successful businesses too. But when I started coaching, I'm like, oh, I'll just, you know, my website up and go to some networking events and do some social and people will flood in. And that did not happen. Yes. And my thought was, I'm following God's calling. I will do the work and God will do the marketing. That was really... I didn't consciously say that, but now that I've deconstructed how I ended up making zero money, working a lot of hours, that was it. Yeah. And for me, it was really learning how to sell and market differently. So I don't know if that was for you as well. Once I figured it out, I was like, oh, got it. Yes. It's a skill and you just need to learn the skill. And yes, once I learned it, once I learned it, yes, it worked. But also what I realized is selling something like coaching, a service space where you're essentially selling yourself truly, it really requires you getting underneath the wounds you have that say you're not allowed to ask for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about that because I work with women primarily and I'm going to say in general, all of them have difficulty asking, whether it's asking for money, asking to be seen, asking their partner for support, like across the board in all areas. Why is that? Well, there's individual reasons why each individual woman is going to come like through her family's history. We also have actual wounds in our DNA. So it's not even you, but it's literally in our DNA is, you know, if you were part of a famine where your husband died and there's actual fears that you have to save and you have to be really careful and be very limited in the money you spend and all of that, it puts a lot of fear around money. So there's these individualized systems that we come into the world with in our families of origin. But from a social standpoint, Women are socialized to save and men are socialized to invest. And that has nothing to do with entrepreneurship. Like in every level, a successful middle-aged woman or, you know, adult woman is a couponer. Like that's the epitome is the, the one that can find the coupons and finds the sales. Like these are all the visions that are held up of the epitome of a successful woman, not from like a business standpoint, but you know, when you see those stories, like, oh my gosh, she can find a bargain anywhere. You would never hear someone talk 
complimentarily about a man that way. It's the way they invest. And the U.S. Department of Commerce did a study in 2010 to find out why women entrepreneurs were making 10 cents, I think 10 cents on the dollar, no, 25 cents on the dollar of their male counterparts, Mm -hmm. because they knew that the economic growth of this country was going to rest in women business owners. So they had to get underneath why women were making so much less. And the number one reason was they invested so much less in themselves. Wow. And it was the investing in themselves that set them up to receive. Then the second thing was they had trouble charging what their male counterparts charge. And I don't remember at this point what that third one, I used to know those stats off the top of my head, but this was, so we talk about how women make 70 cents on the dollar, 80 cents on the dollar in the corporate workforce. Well, when we control what we make, we make 25 cents on the dollar. That does not surprise me. Wow. And it's because that's what, yes, that's what we're taught. So as a young age, we don't even realize that we're, men are teaching young boys to invest, to look at stocks, to put money into their sports. To the, I mean, I just, even at this time, day and age, I have a boy and a girl, the energy the school puts into the boy at the high school level is so different than the girl, right? So it's just systemic. Anyway, go ahead. No, well, I'm curious how we shift it. What is it? Because there, I mean, I think there's a shift happening in general, and there's more women stepping up and creating incredibly successful businesses. So we have to be breaking through some of these social patterns and beliefs finally. But how do we, like, what are some steps that we can take to one, kind of figure out where we're holding ourselves back in receiving and really start accepting that abundance is all around us and that we can have that which we desire? Yeah, because it is shifting. First of all, the energy on the planet is shifting. And also we learn by partially by the internal work we do, but anytime we perceive through our eyes, through our senses that another female human has done this and has remained safe, because that's really what it is, a safety. Our amygdala in our brain, our fight or flight response, the part that controls our fear center starts to unravel this belief system because it's really just trying to keep us safe. So it's first of all, understand your fear to charge, your fear to receive just comes down to safety. So when you understand, oh, it's safety, then it's just start to build stories and start to seek out ways that you're safe by charging more, by receiving more. Wow. Okay, cool. Now, and did you have to work through some of these blocks as you were building your business and realizing that people aren't just going to flood in the door as soon as you opened it? Yes, (laughs) (laughs) I did. And I worked with both professional like business coach people, but also healers to help me get underneath. You know, it was a combination of effort, but the biggest shift came for me when I was um, way over six figures in debt. My husband and I were way over six figures in debt because uh, my husband had been let go right after I started my business and my mom got cancer at that time and I became her caretaker. And so we had two small children taking care of my mom and trying to grow a business and I just wasn't making, even once I got past that point, the money wasn't growing fast enough and we we ended up with a lot of debt. And after my mom died, I was walking through the cemetery where we used to go every day to talk to her. And I was so angry. And I was like, how could you do this to me? And I was sort of just talking to the heavens, whether it was God or my angels, whoever felt like answering. I did everything. I have 
done the work for this business. I have taken care of my mother right through to her death. I have supported my husband through this difficult time. Like I am a good person. How is it that what you're giving me is all this debt? And why is this what I'm left with? Why didn't you lift this off of me? And this angel came through and spoke so clearly to me and said, Patty, debt isn't punishment. Debt is simply the proof that you gave more than you had to give. And as soon as you stop doing that, the debt will be relieved. And it was like such a huge aha moment for me. And I think a lot of the work I had done up until that point came to fruition and and birthed the truth inside of me. But the understanding that at the end of the day, it wasn't that I had to do more and market better and all these things. I mean, you have to have the core skills. Yes. Right. But then you have to stop giving so much. You have to wait for the receiving to happen. That is really powerful. Like really, really powerful because most people, and I think women in particular, just keep overgiving. And then they're exhausted, they get sick and start other other things, but wow. And for me, it was money debt, right? but I've known other people in adrenal fatigue, which is a debt of energy. I've known people in relationship debt, you know, which is embittered divorces or lack of affection, right? These are things, they're just proof of giving more than you receive. Wow. Is there a time frame on the waiting? <laughs> if I had that scorecard, I don't even know how rich I'd be. <laughs> I know, right? We want that answer so bad. Well, and I think that's where like people get frustrated too, is like they did the work and then whether they take a rest or they're slowing down or whatever, they're like, all right, where are the results? Like I'm here. And then they get frustrated and they go back into creating more, but not from a place of abundance. It's more of lack. Yeah. And I think the key actually, when you ask the question, the question actually held the key to the answer, which is how long do you have to wait? As long as you're in the energy of waiting, which is still in the energy of, I'm going to white knuckle it until it comes in, you haven't created the space for that magic to come in. It's to say, I'm going to rest, not so I get money, but because that's what I need. It's to drop into what do you need right now and not fight the truth of what your needs are and then trust that if you honor what your needs are, your needs will be met in all the ways that they need to be met. Right. So the cycle would almost be like creating or building and from a really high vibe and then resting to continue to maintain that high vibe instead of completely depleting yourself. Yes, exactly. And I always get the question of like, why, why? Um, <laughs> and, and then how, how do I know How do I know when I've done enough? How do I know that I can rest, right? So that's the big question. And that was actually when I created a system I called the receiving method, there's five rules, but the four rules kind of get you up to the receiving, 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 but then always people are left with, but how do I know I've done enough that I get to actually stop? And I have what I call the 100% rule. And the 100% rule is simply that where you are, and where you want to get to or what you want to receive has a gap, right? It has a space. You can cover a part of that space with your own effort, 
But then there's a place from where you can do reasonably well to where you actually have the fruition of whatever that is. That's the space for magic. And the universe will fill that space in as long as you stop. And you stop at your 100%. And how you know whether you're at 100% or not is if taking the next step feels like pushing a boulder up a hill, whether it's getting out of bed, sending one more email, putting one more pitch out, taking a phone call, whatever it is, the moment you feel like you're pushing a boulder up a hill to complete that task, you have passed 100%. Got it. And do people need to check in with that? Because if if you're a chronic overdoer, right? Like... Sometimes they don't even know that they're past 100%. In the beginning, most people don't know they're at a past 100%. I didn't. I, I never, I mean, I operated at 105,000%, you know, like <laughs> all the time, right? Especially us type A's. That's like how, that's our badge of honor is our ability to get stuff done. So in the beginning, this isn't one of the rules, but this is more how you kind of come into equilibrium is take two weeks off with non-action, two weeks of Mm non-action. And people are like, I can't do that. There's no way. I'm like, I promise you, someone you love dearly gets sick and needs you by their bedside for two weeks, you would make it happen. You can make it happen. If you think you can't do it, then you absolutely need to do it. Let me just say. So start with that two weeks of non-action because that unwinds a lot of that BS. Yeah. I resonate with that because I took a month off last year because I was burned out and it took me a long time and several people to say you're burned out because I'm like, no, I'm sleeping and I'm eating well and I'm meditating and I'm doing all the stuff. So how could I possibly be burned out? And it took me 10 days just to unwind. And then to like the next two weeks was really listening for that kind of that quiet voice, which is super cool. I was like, oh, there she is. She's back. Perfect. We can carry on now. So, yeah. You know, the question we asked is, you know, when someone's so like, do they have to check in? And the thing is, eventually you don't because it becomes so inherent in your senses, like in your sensing of something, just like if your hand's coming closer to the stove, like, you know, when the little kid goes to touch the stove, they actually, just because it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter, it doesn't matter. They have to get burned, you know, before they learn. In the beginning, you have to keep going over, going over, but eventually, assuming you give yourself that equilibrium period, you start to feel the heat. You start to feel the slight resistance to what you're doing and you just recalibrate yourself. Awesome. And this is all kind of, it's similar to law of attraction because you're focusing on the thing you want and kind of the, I'm going to call it the wait period for lack of a better term, but for having the thing come to fruition is that just that gap, as you said, where it's the universe is going to fill everything in. Why is it though, that like a lot of teachings of law of attraction, I'm air quoting here, don't work for people. Yeah. I love that question. So, I mean, the law of attraction is a fundamental law of the universe. The law of attraction works, but the way the law of attraction is taught and then the way people think they are working with it is the missteps, is the misunderstanding. So there's a couple of things. One, a lot of people learn law of attraction through a book called The Secret, which was very much a pop culture version of the law of attraction. And it was very materialistic based. And it essentially said, If you visualize something, if you are in alignment with something, it will come. And it mostly focuses on material things. The thing is, it won't come unless it's for your highest good. So, you know, you could be single and be visualizing some like hot 
tall, gorgeous guy, and he's a banker, and he's this and he's that. And if your soul is served, one, by being alone for a couple of years, you know, and that's how you're going to get to your highest place, and there's the perfect person who you are already contracted to be with, you're going to be served up three years. You can go on dates and stuff, but that soulmate you're looking for, the universe needs time to cultivate that for you. The way the secret was taught was, well, if that person doesn't arrive, you're not visualizing properly, right? And you need to do it better or more or different, or you're not being positive about it. You don't believe enough. Not actually true. So one is you need to understand that law of attraction will attract to you things that are vibrational equivalents, but it won't attract what your ego wants necessarily (laughs) just for the sake of wanting, right? The second thing is a lot of the law of attraction work focuses on being positive. And oftentimes for us to get to a place where we can open our hearts to the divine, to the universe, is to be in a place of hurt and pain and not enoughness. And you don't want to stay in those places, but you want to honor that they're true for you. And so a lot of the work that's taught around law of attraction requires a lot of spiritual bypassing, where it's actually bypassing accurate emotions that we need to process to open up to receiving. So the law of attraction works. When you visualize something as for your higher good or you ask for it, it starts to arrive in the right timing. But once it arrives, you need to be able to let it in. And so usually it's our wounds around receiving that keep us from truly receiving it. And a lot of times the law of attraction teachings don't even speak about that. Right. So it's, you kind of have to feel some of the negative feelings to get to the other side and work through them. But I also feel like when people are saying affirmations or trying to be in a constant positive state, one, they're ignoring some of the negative stuff, but two, there's still a lack or a want in there. So they're really focused on what they don't have as opposed to what they're looking to bring in. Do you find that as well? Or Well, sometimes I actually find the bigger issue with that, you know, affirmations and, and that kind of stuff is that affirmations only work for one type of brain structure, a highly developed right-brained person, someone who's really creative or non-neurotypical. So like people with ADHD, some other types of what we call disabilities, but just not neurotypical, they actually can function inside that. Let me make up something that isn't true and I can believe it and it's fine. But for highly developed left brain people who are very based in truth, that actually doesn't work because their brains just keep going, lie, lie, (laughs) lie. (laughs) It's not going to work if you don't believe it, right? So I think that's a piece of it. It's less concerning for me when people are affirming that they actually feel the lack of it in the way I know it, because the universe, you know, sourced by the divine doesn't respond to a pure ego vibration. It responds from the soul's vibration. And so if you desire more money and the money isn't there and what you're feeling is the pain of the disparity, Mm -hmm. that pain isn't a wrong vibration. It's when you don't believe that it will ever come that you truly block it or that it's not safe that it comes, which again is that receiving wound. That's so cool. And that makes so much sense, particularly for the left brainers, because I've again, worked with a number of people who are more left brain and they're like, well, this isn't true. So how do I repetitively say it? 
and believe it. Right. Like it's not, and, and they want, they tend to want the analytical, like realist proof. So of course that's not going to set them up for success. No, they need to understand exactly what they're doing to block it, which means what they need to understand is there are signals coming from their amygdala that's pushing fear out. And so they just need to understand what do I need to do to contract my fear? Mm -hmm. That's their answer. Amazing. This is so cool. I'm really excited that we're talking. I am, I'm curious too. I want to switch a little bit. What was the catalyst for writing your book, Make Space for Magic? So my original reason for writing it, like the reason it was in my heart for so long was I, as I said, I was a type A corporate banker. I do a lot of speaking and I am intuitive now. So I talk to the other side of the veil. I talk, I can talk to people's loved ones, spirit guides. I don't do it professionally. You cannot hire me to come do your party. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I get right. Not you specifically, I mean, but like, honestly, I when I first started sharing, they're like, I would get these messages and people were like, Hey, I'm having some girl friends over. Can I book you for a reading? You know, look, there's people that do that. That's on me. But when I shared that from the stage and people could feel in talking to me that I was normal, that I really was, you know, I had this psychology stuff coming in. Like I wasn't floating around in a muumuu and reading my crystal ball. They were really intrigued. And they, most of us think that those kinds of gifts start when you're little, like you were always like that, right? I wasn't always like that. I became this. And I wanted people to understand that the, that the other side of the veil is always talking to us. And there are so many beings that love us and want to guide us when we're in that fear place. And you don't need special powers. We all have these gifts. So I intended to tell my story to show both with the debt, because that to me is a big one for a lot of people. There's a lot of shame around it, how I came out of debt through this receiving and also how I talked to the other side of the veil and how that journey happened. So initially it was just meant to be, here's my story, warts and all, failings and all, so that you can see, you can be in the darkest pit and I promise you, all you need to do is to slow down and open up and ask the divine for help, ask the universe for help. And really, here's exactly what this looked like, right? Real right. life example. When the book finally got birthed, I was just going into the pandemic. When it got written in its original form, we were just going into the pandemic. My kids were 12 and 14, and some of the stories were just way too raw for me to feel safe, knowing we were going into this thing that I didn't know how it was going to play out for them. And to have the book just sitting there, them probably be talking to their friends in ways they hadn't before and possibly their parents having read it, it just felt off. So I put it aside and I just asked the divine to kind of show me what either make it be safe for me to put it out or whatever. And I talked to the publisher and we agreed to put it on hold. Then the pandemics got, you know, we went month to month and I kept, I just was going live and talking about this stuff because I found people were really in so much crisis, like, oh, we can't control things. And I would tell my stories and they were like, but how did you surrender? How did you let go? How did you receive? And I realized, oh, the book didn't tell the how. It didn't give the how-to. And that made me realize that's what I need to shift. So I pulled out some of the darker stories built in the how-to. And mm -hmm. then that was what created the end product. Very cool. 
So it's out. And where can people get it? People can get it in all the major retailers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, bookshop.org. If a local bookstore cover it, covers it, no, carries, <laughs> offers it, carries it. Oh my there God, go. my brain. They can order it as well. Cause I do like to say it's easy to get it from Amazon, but I really do like to support our s- small businesses. Make space for magic, Patty Lennon. Or if you go to pattylennoncom forward slash make space for magic, that's got the order links there. That's the page on my website. Awesome. And we'll get all those in the show notes too. So people can hook up with you and get the book in whichever format and medium that they choose. Yes. All the mediums. Well, not audiobook yet, but all, all the, most of the mediums. Would you do an audiobook? We are. Yeah. I'll be recording it in January. Oh, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. There's a studio and there's famous people that go to the studio apparently. <laughs> I don't know anything about recording audiobooks other than I'm always excited when the author reads it himself or herself. Is there anything like for preparation or training to read do you, or do you do it like in chapters, break it up all at once? They haven't given me any notes, but I just, I imagine it's, you know, the way I'm going to do the audiobook. actually, I can tell you this. I think you can just read it straight through, but there was a book I read through audiobook heard and the author kept stopping and giving like little side notes of what it was like to like, you know, what they really meant, or they gave a snarky comment. Some of the stuff that gets edited out in formal editing. So for me, that's how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it on the, on the fly, whatever like pops into my head. I've been actually during the time that we're recording this, I don't know if it'll still be going on when this comes out. I've been doing story time for anyone who buys early. And so we have this Facebook group. So I come into the Facebook group and I will read them a part of this, the book and then give them some of the pieces of the puzzle that weren't that were edited out or just yeah. like some of the the background to it, you know. So that's what I want the audiobook to have. It'll be so much fun. I'm gonna have to get both because I love listening to I love listening to audiobooks, but I I like to underline stuff too. So frequently do both. And and there's something so authentic about you reading it too. Yeah. And we learn through our senses, right? And so there's going to be something different in my voice saying it than just a paid. Yeah. We digress. I could talk about the audiobook forever as well. (laughs) How can entrepreneurs and everybody who's listening start using this, everything we've talked about, the awareness, giving space, stopping at that hundred percent. How does that affect business? Because I, I believe that the natural reaction is what we talked about, where it's like, oh, if I slow down, I'm not going to get anything done and I really need to go faster. Yeah. So I think first is understanding some principles that are proven, which is the 80-20 rule applies in all things for the most part. Sometimes it's an 85-15 or a 90-10, but it's generally the rule of thumb everywhere. So start by understanding 80% of what you're doing is creating 20% or less of your results. So most of what you're doing ain't working that well anyway. And that is just the reality. So just from a brain understanding, stopping doing a lot of the stuff you're doing is fine because it's not actually fundamentally producing results, right? And, but from a metaphysical standpoint, you constantly doing is just like you putting your hands out in front of you and shoving away the magic, shoving away the help, shoving away the money. So holding both those understandings and then to start is really think about that two week vacation. And if you can't do two weeks a week, and if you can't do a week, three days, nothing less than three days and really get that 
going. Because once you do, I promise you, you're going to see a change in your sales and your marketing. It just, it always happens. It always happens because people buy based on our energy, based on how they feel about us. They don't buy on what we're selling. You know, having really solid copy and a solid sales conversation, very valuable, but more valuable because inherent in it is the truth about who you are. When the way you're showing up is a vibration of vibrancy, that's what makes people excited to work with you. And almost always, all that doing is just lowering the aura around you. Whether you believe there's an aura there or not, there is. Yeah. Well, and that makes so much sense, right? Because you can say, particularly in a sales conversation, and by that, I'm going to include even if you're onboarding somebody you know, from, as, from a team perspective, when you're in conversation or, you know, a regular sales conversation, but even in the copy you're writing for online messaging, et cetera, you can say the same words and they're going to feel and be received totally differently. So that for me, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I forget how you asked the question initially, but like, how would it impact Like, how do you kind of get up the courage to do this? Or like, how do you know, how does this make sense? work? How does it all work? And, um, that I don't business coach anymore, but back when I did, one of the things I used to do using my intuitive gifts was I would feel what the soul was really looking to do in the world and then reword what they were saying inside of a sales conversation in the words of their soul. And always what they would say is, Oh my God, I can totally say that with confidence. Yes, that is my truth. And that does sound so much better, right? Yes. I talked to the other side of the veil. Yes. I can see your soul, but you always have access to your soul. It's the doing that's keeping you from feeling that truth that will naturally spill out of your pie hole if you will calm down. (laughs) I love that. That was brilliant. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Got it. Okay. I have to, we have to wrap up, but I'm going to leave it at that because I think that's a really strong ending and just like, yeah, just chill. And it's going to, it'll all work out. And I say that, and I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I say that with, that doesn't mean take on new challenge or don't take on new challenges or be dedicated, but do it from a really high energetic vibe as opposed to exhaustion. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you. This has been so much fun. I'm fascinated. And it's, it's really cool to hear the science with spiritual peace or the law of attraction, like the metaphysic physics piece of it too. So that's a rare combination that you have. Thank you. It was the thing that helped me get on board with it. So for us left brainers, it, we need the facts. We need to understand why, like, you know, everything that has a spiritual aspect is provable in the reality we live in. If we take the time to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Before I forget, share with everybody where they can connect with you. What's the best place to find you? Yes, I would love for you to connect with me on my podcast, Space for Magic, which you can find on any podcast app. Or if you, and almost always I'm giving you my contact information, but if you want to find me directly, my website is pattylennon.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emmy. And for everybody who is listening, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. 
I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review, it would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. 